Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Cobblers fanzine, reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reed. Today I'm really delighted to be joined by who I call the king of football photography, a guy who's been traversing the country for decades, uh, capturing the, the true essence of football culture in the UK and all over. A brilliant book called Homes of Football that I recommend you all having a look at. It's uh, Stuart Roy Clark. Hello, Stuart. Hello, Tom and listeners. Good to speak to you. Yeah, very good to, to talk to you too. And as part of all this break of football, everyone's been at, at it. They've been reminiscing and nostalgia and stuff with football. And I've been looking back at your your book and your work and uh, also that your really good photos of, of cobblers and and the, the old county ground, which is a really important part of uh, living history. So can you sort of like talk a little bit about those sort of things? Of course. Yeah, um, I started this really in 1989 after the Hillsborough disaster, which sounds very gloomy, but I realized there was a exciting period ahead, you know, the 90s, uh, where the grounds were going to be rebuilt. Um, locally, it brought about um, Northampton Town moving from the old county ground shared with the cricket ground um, yeah. to six fields. And, you know, this story is kind of replicated, but in a fantastically different way each time, which is why I do the homes of football. Um, all over the country, grounds were done up uh, or clubs moved. Um, very few had nothing done to them. And, you know, now 30 years on from that beginning, we sit, stand here, whatever, during this period of um, lockdown and wonder if our clubs and this collective, you know, feast of football that we have in the UK, which is unique in the world, and I've been all over, um, whether it will come through the other side and who are going to be casualties. I don't think we should have a guessing game about, you know, who's going to go under. I think it's more about trying to pull us all through. Um, going back to you know, Northampton Town, yeah, this was about everybody. And it's not even just the 92. Some people think I'm I'm a kind of glorified anorak who wants to train spot the 92 and say, right, I've done them. But I've actually done thousands of clubs, right from, you know, Greenfield clubs with a couple of supporters right through to sure. World Cup finals and, you know, the huge beasts, Manchester United, Liverpools of this world. And I think that's kind of what makes my work a bit unique um, in this I agree. period. Yeah, is, is that great plurality of clubs, big and small all together. I honestly, honestly get as much joy, um, I would say, going to, say, you know, Northampton Town, Mansfield Town, whoever it is, yeah. as I do probably a huge game I kind that's of that's quite a prescient point actually uh yeah Stuart, because we at the moment there's a the, the hiatus in football and people are also looking at the interconnectivity of football and the role of the Premier League that yeah. you know burst into life probably similar year when you were down at Northampton 92 uh, time and how clubs are fitting together and what we want football to look like afterwards and the, the football pyramid and you've you've been in that sort of fortunate position to see the changes in football in the faces of fans and their experiences and that's just a quite a valuable thing you've been able to bring I think. The great connectivity is the geography you know so Northampton yeah. Town isn't so far from MK Dons and then you suddenly think Luton and then before that you're at Watford and it goes on and on and, and in some yeah. towns you've got several clubs in the same town 
Um, just as a diversion, just for a bit of fun, if we went up to Falkirk, I bet you very few listeners would know how many clubs there were in Falkirk. There's actually four that... Is there? Know, yeah, there's, well, one, okay, isn't in the Scottish League, but they're four considerable clubs, you know, each with a fan base, yeah. So... What are those clubs then? Oh, I was going to just keep you wondering, but there's Camelon, which is the one that aren't in the league, but you've got East Stirlingshire, Stenhouse, Muir and Falkirk. I never knew that. Yeah, and that's a town that's probably smaller than Northampton town, you know. So it was always about Scotland, England, and to an extent Wales and Northern Ireland to me. And I've done all the World Cups, I think, most of them anyway, and Euros since 1990. So it isn't just about me obsessed with, as I say, kind of train-spotting approach of the 92 clubs of of England or something. It's a real love of football, but... I've just felt so fortunate to have grown up in a country where it is peculiar. You know, the German Scandinavians keep reminding us in their visits and in what they say that, you know, even even the Germans can't do what we do. They, they can't have as many clubs. They can't do that kind of organic, ridiculous manner of supporting um you know, sulking, if you like, sometimes we're quiet at football matches or we're noisy and we're, you know, emotional and then we're not. They're... That's quite an interesting point, actually, because yeah. um, German football is a lot more regionalised, especially as you go slightly further down the uh, the tiers. Mm. And um, they don't they don't tend to have the, you know, the, 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 the strength in depth down all the way down to League Two that we have in Northampton playing Carlisle one week and the next Exeter. There's, we have got this maybe being on an island, we've got this re- really rich network of football, like you say, that that, that you, you can explore as you, you know, go up the motorway or down it. No, we have. And apart from Crystal Palace, um, there's no real club in this country that has kind of ultras with uh, loudspeakers and a guy with his back to the... It's not a criticism of Crystal Palace. They are just, just slightly different. But yeah. we don't like that. We don't like to be told, right, you've got to cheer now or keep up a cheering the whole way. And, you know, this is why Arsenal is sometimes nicknamed the library, because the the crowd goes quite quiet when they're not seeing the beautiful football that they expect to see. You know, they they just don't all kind of start banging drums and flares and things. It's not our style. So I think the thing as an artist, photographer, football lover that I seized on in 1989-90, as something I would do for years, the homes of football, was this peculiar thing in our country? And just to finish that point, you know, people have said to me, would you have done it if you had lived or grown up in France, Germany, Botswana, you know, Indonesia, whatever? And I'd say, well, I think I might have done something because of the love of football, but it wouldn't have been as uh, prolific as this. Yeah, definitely. Could, could you talk us through a little bit about your, before you did the, uh, you know, start the Homes of Football project in, you know, 89, how, how you got into photography and maybe some of your inspirations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, North, you know, it's, it's always easy in an interview to start buttering up whoever it is you're, you're, is interviewing you and start making out that you love their club or something. But Northampton Town was only just up the line from me from Berkhamsted in Hertfordshire where I grew up. So our family were yeah. Watford supporters going back generations. But you know, the clubs around that area, I was kind of quite aware of them. Northampton had a great tale for me. And, and I always felt something that there was something special about them because it, the day I was born, literally, my dad was off to see Northampton v Watford at Northampton. He was going to catch the train. Okay. And I was overdue, but he still thought, oh, I'll risk it. You know, he's so overdue. He won't be born today. And I was. He, he, he literally passed the doctor, coming the other way. He said, Roy, you're not going to the football today. You've got to come back. <laughs> you know, we've got a call. So he never got to see that game. But actually, it was an FA Cup game. And I think it was drawn. And then there was a replay. So he got to see that. So since day one or, you know, when I was five or six and I started thinking about football, you know, Northampton Town registered quite prominently, if only for that reason. And also the geography one that they were just up the line. So um, going back to these beginnings, because, yeah, people there listening and kind of think, well, hold on, who is this guy? Okay, I'm getting a drift. He's a photographer. So who employs him? How does he do this? You know, why why can't we do it? Um, to answer all of those, really, is that probably somebody else 
could have done what I've, I, I've done, but they probably couldn't now because I don't just mean during COVID, but I just mean generally recently, the last 10 or 15 years, even at Northampton Town, you, you know, if you knocked on the door and said, could I just come in and take photos? They probably kind of, they might say no, to be honest, because of marketing reasons and you mm-hmm. know, intellectual yeah. property, all these fancy words. Um, when I knocked on the doors of Wolverhampton Wonders, Liverpool, Man U, Northampton Town, Watford in 1990, um, it was very much off, often the secretary would say, yeah, OK, come in. And then, <laughs> then he would hand me over to the grounds and he would show me his hut and t- tell me all sorts of stories. And I was away. I did have, I must admit, I did have a slight leg up in those early days. And this was the, probably the only clever thing that I've sort of done was that I realised to just be tapping on everyone's doors endlessly like that as, as an unknown, as an artist, could be a bit exhausting. But I got in, I got in with the Football Trust, who then, um, with a, after Taylor Report, you know, there was going to be all these changes. The county ground was going to be done up or, as it happened, moved to Sixfields. Yeah. Um, a lot of money was going to be pumped into every level of football, but particularly the Football League and the Scottish League. And so to ensure their survival after Hillsborough. So I learned through the Football Trust and got ushered up to London to see them. And they said, well, you know, we got all this money, to be quite frank, and we've got all these clubs and projects, but we don't have anybody who's photographing the sort of human side of it. And I, I said, yeah, well, I, I'm your man, you know. So I became their photographer on a freelance basis, which was always the case for the 15 years I worked for them. But it gave me, Tom, great entry you know very few clubs could afford to turn me down and turn me away because I was I was party to the to the organization it was giving them some dosh so they kind of Mm. welcomed me on two fronts they welcomed me I I hope as an artist who was intrigued by their club but also as this person who would record what was changing or going to change so you know I'd literally walk into six uh, sorry county ground and say think or or know that that something was going to have a be painted up and there was a bit of a grant and I would photograph it that's kind of how it worked really and then it wasn't just about going on non-match days you know it was about how fans use the facilities so I had every excuse to go on big or small match occasions all over the country and you know I was perfect I was the right person too because these projects were at, at all levels you know all different clubs so I loved going to you know, a fourth division club, just as I would love going to Manchester United or Liverpool. So it was a kind of perfect marriage, but I still haven't really told you how I even came to do, to do that. And and I'll be very quick because people's attention will only be so long listening to these stories is that (laughs) I grew grew up um, loving football, um, being an artist, drawing all the time. I'd go down the high street in Berkhamsted, um, draw then then you know I started when Graham Taylor arrived at Watford I was only 15 and I um I drew him you know and present my mum said let's take it along to the training session see if we can give it to him and he loved it so much he was very approachable always was Graham Taylor he said wow I love this could you do another for my mum or something <laughs> and then Bertie Mee who was the famous ex-manager of, of Arsenal who was Big also name alongside he he asked for one so so that kind of went on and so you know in the mid 70s I was having a bit of success in football in as much as sort of doing drawings and stuff I was still some way off of starting the homes of football in 1990 so you know there's still 15 years to go before I began that but what happened was you know I went off to college um thought I was all clever I'd be a serious sort of street photographer black and white photos about whatever was happening to our country and at that time we're now talking early 80s it was it was the miners strike and the thatcher years and so yeah that was quite sort of a serious time it's quite gray and bleak so i had a kind of subject to do but um i still was yearning for something that felt more that was mine you know and then you know i'll be quite frank after the disasters of bradford heisel and then hillsborough I suddenly thought, geez, you know, football that I'd never thought was sort of serious enough subject, although I love yeah. it. I suddenly thought, crikey, you can't get more serious than this. You know, the whole world's attention is on this game and the reshaping of it. I'm your man. So I, it had a bit of uh, so, uh, 
social significance and yeah there, there was also the the fanzine culture was uh burgeoning in late 80s and there was uh, yeah i think i think you were a, a really interesting time in a shift in in fan culture from how do how do we move how do we not move on but how do we how do we f- find a new a new fan culture going into the 90s yeah. and football was shifting from uh, you know these these grand old grounds some of them were pretty decrepit as well uh to to this the this sort era of all-seater stadium and 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 you were in a place to say right we're gonna put the we'll put the camera on this and I, what i love about your photos is you're not particularly trying to tell a story you it's literally just a, a snapshot of how it is and looking back on them they're there's so many little stories going on. That's that's really what I enjoy from your photos. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Tom. If if I had been going to editors, you know, of newspapers, they would have said, well, "Hold on, what is the story? You know, who's yeah. been sacked? Who's been signed? What's going on?" Yeah. Uh, there isn't one. You know, I'm just photographing it as it is, and they would have said, "Well, you know, it's no good to us." So what I the, the sort of photography I was doing was it was always going to be books. And I've had 12, you know, when you spoke at the start, the homes of football, the, the, the last one's the game. And I've just got one coming out in America where I'm trying to show this, all that we're talking about now with this enthusiasm to the Americans who are beginning to really take to soccer or were, you know, a couple of months ago, that to kind of get its intricacies and it's the idea that you don't have to win. It's just about like being loyal and competing and all that stuff. Mm. So... What I'd begun in the homes of football at the end of the 80s there was something that was bound for museums and art galleries, had a kind of long fizz of a, of a storyline. In other words, years later, perhaps some of the pictures would, would, get, would take more meaning or have more meaning because what they showed had disappeared. And, you know, maybe magazine features and fanzines were all over the place at the time. It was a fantastic period, as you know, for them. I remember in the shows that I did, I always got um, buddy, if you like, with one or two. Uh, and sometimes there were several fanzines for for one club, a big club. Sure. I would always get buddy with them a bit because, you know, I love their energy. They love mine. I remember one show I did at Paisley, which is St. Mirren, because uh, they played on Love Street and the Doors, the famous rock group, had done a so- song called On Love Street. Um, <laughs> They had Jim Morrison, the, the lead singer of the band, uh, the Doors, the American band, on cool. the cover of all their fanzines. And, <laughs> you know, it was a spurious association that just took off. So we built a, like a hut and clothed the whole. We, I, I, they gave me hundreds of old copies of the fanzine. And I literally wallpapered the whole thing from every inch of it with pages from the fanzines and then you know there was all these weird animals in the song i mean it just gets more bizarre and and then we kind of <laughs> made all these strange animals you know paper mache that all cool. <laughs> and then i had the blooming scottish scottish national manager coming out in the show and i'm thinking oh <laughs> what is he gonna think of this but you know football is a kind of broad church i think you know um it's, it's... it is it kind of can take in quite a lot of different uh, types of people and, and views, you know, supporting their club. It's famous in that for, they say, you know, judges, uh, businessmen, lawyers, yeah. whoever, housewives, blah, 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 are all, if you like, it's not a leveller, but you are all experiencing the same emotion at that time. You know, come the goal, come the relegation promotion match, you know, it, it's something that, in a way, money can't buy. That's that, that's that's really true. I, I always wondered with with your photography, especially ones you were, you know, say a pioneer uh, specifically, but you were you were you were quite big on taking photos of quite large terraces with thousands mm. of fans on it. I always wondered how you got them not to look at you because I do a bit of photography myself, yeah. not to your level, but and, and this is a street photographer's creed sometimes sometimes if you get someone one person looking at you and yeah it ruins the whole shot so I, I just wondered how you did it well yeah it's, it's a good point I think that often I was photographing on non-match days you know and in a way that makes some of those photos very poignant almost ghostly you know a huge terrace at Burnley because without fans without anyone looking at me or um whatever 
you're thinking of all the people and all the times that were ever experienced at that ground, you know, in this kind of supposedly empty stadium. So that's kind of one approach. And then come match day where I did want the crowds and I did want that motion. I think, yeah, I, I generally made that my rule that, you know, you don't, I don't want people looking at me, you know. So what I would always do is work out what I was going to photo, but wait for a moment. And that's how I got the kind of famous Sunderland picture of all the fans oh, looking yeah. up, was wait for a moment of high emotion or drama on the pitch, whereby, of course, they won't be interested at all in me. You know, there was one or two times when the fans were completely bored at, gra- at grounds or games, like at Portsmouth, where they turned their whole attention on me. And I just wanted the ground to swallow up like that. You know, they were singing songs about what clothes I was wearing and so and I thought <laughs> I didn't want this you know I really sure, loved yeah. it I, I loved I, it I find, go on no sorry Tom all I was gonna say was I love doing interviews I love a bit of attention it's not like I'm that shy but you know in terms of people sort of staring back at the photographer I suppose I wanted control over that and just to finish off that is kind of third sort of photography within all this the kind of empty stadium was the first the sort of fans in that height of emotions number two the third was is often just a personal character that works at the ground or something and mm. sometimes i do want them looking at the, at the camera you know kind of looking down through history so i kind of just let it happen i don't say right stare at me now i just i just wait for them and if they look they look and I think that's a different thing because it's kind of a close-up of a person, and and in a way you you know you, you would expect them to be looking at you. I know exactly where you're coming from. I've done various things. I've done some photos in football pubs, which can be a bit ropey. There's various sort of like different places to do football photography, um, and various little techniques to try and just get some candid photos, natural photos. But let's let's talk a little bit about that. You know, a classic. Roker Park photo of the yeah. Sunderland Terrace with eh, God, the, 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 the emotion being shown in their faces is just so multifaceted. There's hope in there. You know, there's a you know, fear of football, football fans, what's going to happen next. It's amazing. How did, did you go to the, the ground hoping for a shot like that? How did, it, how did that pan out? Yeah, I, th- I think I do every game in a way. But I, this, I love this. This is talking photos on the radio, if you like. People said it can't be done, you know, and I love trying to do it. So listeners, if you can't see this picture now, this is what we're talking about, is that at Sunderland, where they've always had a very loyal and intense support, this is back at Roker Park. At the back of the picture, it says, welcome to Sunderland. It's the back of the Fulwell End. Um, It's packed, but not so packed to be uncomfortable. Practically everyone is in a replica shirt home or some away, and yet it's only 1996 where you think, you know, replica shirts surely was sort of later invention. Sunderland took to it early. And there's these rows and rows of people, you know, kids generally at the front, some girls, maybe older people, um, middle-aged people, whatever, kind of further back, blah, blah, blah. But in my picture, at least, you know, they're not, they're not crammed, but they are shoulder to shoulder. And I caught the moment against Coventry as it happened, which who both teams were in the top division at the time. Okay. But everyone is looking up, which is the title mm. looking up. And people said to me, you know, to this day or till last year, and I've, I've come to another story very quickly in a second. They, they say, what was it that everyone was looking at? That they should be looking so steeply into the air and not like straight ahead at say. And I used to say, well, yeah, a spaceship, <laughs> a spaceship was landing. And someone <laughs> said, OK. And they actually had to think about, like, was I being truthful? I said, well, look, actually, I, I'm not quite sure. I I kind of felt that did the ball hit the bar and was spinning in the air? Because, of course, I've got my back to the to the match or the action at that moment. Although, the, you know, my, my head's at, right in the back of the football net. And I'm just a few feet from the crowd and a few feet from the game all in one go. But I'm looking towards the crowd anyway. So in this portrait of my portrait of football, looking up at Sunderland, you know, the amazing thing was just two years ago. Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Around the, Yes, it was. Actually, it was just a couple of weeks after France had won the World Cup 
they suddenly want my picture two weeks later to be the front cover of, of L'Equipe. And, you know, it was always about the sport and not particularly a body of work or photographer. But they suddenly said, no, it, you know, you are very much part of this story. And this story, this picture is very much part of Britain. I think what it was, was they were trying to fathom what, what we were up to as a nation with Brexit. And they thought, yeah. we just don't get it. So, but, but you know, if any, if, if Britain is remarkable for something kind of understandable, it's, it's football. So let's try and understand the nation and Brexit through the football. And who better or what better than this sort of photo of everyone together at a football match um, in an incredible way, a club that never wins anything, Sunderland, you know, and yet there's all these loyal people. So let's kind of explore the subject through, through that. And they did a picture essay of four or five pages of other pictures as well. And then um, Al Freunde in, Scot in Germany um, come, come up with the same approach. They want it on the cover. This was last sure. year. And I think it's this, exactly the same, you know, the same um, idea. They took it a stage further because they wanted to, which I love, trace as many people as they can or could in, in the photo. Right, and, yeah. You know, bearing in mind it was taken in 1996. So we're now talking about 2019. They're doing the story. This is 23 years later. I think that's right. And um, would they find people? So I went up there on day two. They had spent day one going around finding people. And then day two, they would assemble them at the Glasshouse Museum in Sunderland. And, you know, yeah. I, I loved it. I was almost in tears. It was, it was just a shiver down the spine to meet people who were smaller or younger or or more interested or less interested in football and, and their club back then than they are now. And, Fantastic. you know, I was shaking their hand and saying, my God. <laughs> yeah. And and I was, you know, we were we were saying, what's your memory of the day? What do you think was happening? And we all decided that it wasn't a spaceship coming down after all. It was the ball hitting the bar and everyone looking up at that second. And uh, have I ever taken a better picture? Probably not better. Maybe a few that are as good. But, you know, it's one of those moments. And, and yeah. very, uh, you know, we we all think of our art as having some sort of significance but that that picture has got so much significance and and, and so many debating points about yeah. where the game has gone from that time the I think that's a, lot of the, a lot of your photos have got a lot of kids in in the stadium and work of working class people in inverted commas and you know the the, the gentrification of football and the way it's gone and it, it's a real it's a real snapshot and, and we could have probably argue all day about you know where football's gone but just yeah. so so interesting in that in that perspective. I think you had asked, you know, what I was my expectation that day and any day. Yeah, I, did I know I was going to take that picture exactly? No. I think what I was determined that day was I thought, look, I'm at Sunderland. I still don't get it. Why? Why I love this club, but why do so many people support such a rubbish team? In a way, that's kind of what I was trying to work out. And I thought, it's it isn't just about the winning. It's because they're all together, and you know. This place is very historic. And, you know, Sunderland were actually in the top three clubs for the first 50 years of football. You know, this is. Yeah, what they've got a fine, a fine history. And, and what I find really interesting about that photo as well is uh, it was Roker Park was famous for the Roker Roar, the Roker Roar, yeah. like, the, you know, one of the most gr grandest old stadium and the most partisan yeah. fans. And you got them in a, in a, in a moment of quiet. Yeah. And and that's a really good juxtaposition, I think, uh, visually. Absolutely. So you know that yeah, absolutely is. You know, in a way, dumbfounded, they speechless as they were. They were <gasps> all mouths open, eyes are wide. Yeah. That's the moment. But I was hovering around for half an hour, which was most of the first half. I'd already spent an hour or so before the game, walking around the ground and in the ground. But then I kind of after kickoff, I decided right, you know, sun's over there. Um, Sunderland are kicking this way, blah, 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 blah. I think if I hover behind this goal, you know, look at this section of crowd, it's 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 so beautiful today, you know, with the colours and, and everything. The lighting was good. The lighting was yeah, good. Yeah, the lighting was good. And, you, you know, they're not overdressed whereby they'd be concealing all their replica shirts under grey coats and things. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it just felt good for that, for what 
big crowd shot and particularly a Sunderland shot the mystery of Sunderland could I kind of do it and and then I thought right what I need now is a moment so you know that's kind of what happened really but in terms of of exactly that you know mouths open I um eyes wide looking up no that that's the magic on top and yeah in those days it was all on film obviously uh you didn't have the benefit of post post production, uh, tinkering with stuff on the computer and, and stuff, and and loads of help with lighting. It was just, it was well, just you, that moment, and that's what football is about. It's moments, isn't it? And you were just, just you're going to you're going to love this as a fellow photographer. Um, I'm still that person. Um, I still use film. I still use the same camera plus two more spares if you like but it's the same camera that i took all those pictures john motson in the snow in 1990 this picture really it's, it's the same big film camera and i don't do any post-production none you know if i've taken the picture skew with it's skew with that it. um i only take one now even less than i did then i perhaps took i did take three of that crowd to, to get that one and the other two are pretty good too but this you know of looking up but that's the best picture the five northampton pictures that um we were talking about just before we came on air if you like um including the no swearing i didn't like take lots and different angles and i took one and i still do yeah. that and yeah and, I'm, I'm quite similar actually i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's because i've subconsciously copied without even knowing what your techniques are yeah. i just feel if you haven't got it in that moment let it go i feel like it's yeah. like go otherwise it's going like fishing with 50 rods and catching a fish well <laughs> is it that hard i might use that one myself i like that yeah um so yeah i like sometimes i've had a really good shot ruined by one little thing but i'm like it wasn't it wasn't meant to be at that point you know, you know I th- we'll you, get another one another time somewhere else maybe yeah yeah you've made my explaining things so much easier for now i'm gonna say to everyone from now on that i just go fishing with one rod the truth is i've never been fishing in my life but i like <laughs> this analogy i like this analogy that you've got one shot and sometimes yeah. you know if you take loads or machine gun something you think you've sort of done it and you know what was it you're out to capture you know i i just love that one moment um as if that could be the only moment that survived because that's what that's football football is about moments it's about yeah. little, you know a shot a shot could go in or it could hit the bar like, like yes yeah. it could and and if you're you're overthinking and overdoing everything and bringing too much equipment and all that it just takes a bit of the the magic away from me um maybe we should talk a little bit about the the Northampton shoot. I, I reckon in your archive, you've probably got more Northampton photos that we haven't seen yeah, on some yeah. film somewhere. But the the main one, obviously, you're 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 famous for some brilliant shots. But as Northampton fans, the ones that resonate are the most are the county ground ones. And that no swearing sign is is uh, infamous in Northampton because it never really had the effect it wanted. But <laughs> it was a very good. It's almost a, a very good uh, indicator of that sort of an old fashioned sort of. How would you describe a bit patriarchal? What's the word? But like um, an yeah. old-fashioned, you had the club officials making these boards. Yeah. And you had the fans in the stand, and they were meant to behave. Try and behave, lads. Yeah. Like, like, like school kids. It is. It is, the, it is the patriarchal, matriarchal kind of approach that the club is sort of, you know, an extension of the family, and there's a secretary and a director who's like granddad's the director or something, and the secretary's dad and mum's doing some of the stuff there too. Yeah, and they tell you, you know, to behave and you can do this, you can do that. And yeah, I, I think that's the homes of football was very much felt like that, you know, even even at the big clubs when I went there, that it felt like a kind of extension of the family. I don't think it's entirely like that at the moment, but partly because what family are we talking about? Um, you know, it's, it's an international global family now with owners that um, you might never meet or might not even know who they are. Yeah, might not live in the country or something. And the, the no swearing one was interested for listeners that perhaps aren't Northampton fans yeah. and maybe haven't seen the photo. Um, it, it's a photo, actually, you unusually in the, the it was called the hotel and the home end of Northampton looking oh. out onto the pitch and the the board the board the you know the whoever the secretary or whatever had put a little sign saying no oh, no swearing please trying to get the you know 
more partisan fans to turn down their language. And let's face it, Cobblers fans used to swear a lot, mainly because the football is so terrible. Um, but uh, yeah, is it very a very interesting photo? It's a small sign of exile, I don't know, but it's dead centre behind the goal. So all yeah. that lot who were behind the goal are meant to behave. And then the rest was just about composition. I got two of the floodlights in, a bit of the the kind of open cop at the far end in view and this kind of waited for the sun not to be too strong few clouds it's just simple but nice and i when i took it i kind of chuckled to myself blackpool were were playing that day were about to arrive and they were in okay. a bad way you know and they only had about 100 supporters with them but um that day you know i, I did go to quite a few matches in northampton um both there and then a few at six fields. But yeah, I seem to be in form that day because I took that one and I took about three or four more. The, the bubblegum one, I think, was taken that day too. The, a boy just blowing bubblegum, simple as that, sat on the side of the pitch before the game. He's, he's a programme seller. And, yeah, it, it, it's just a nice picture. I think we had... In on that on that shoot, we had that uh, crazy zigzag kit. It was like a or like um, must have been like early nineties, uh, very sort of very sort of a nineties thing. And what I find resonates from that that photo shoot is that this sounds a bit of a cliche that football was slightly more of a more simple animal in those days. And it, you didn't have people pouring all over the games in the week after maybe in the pub and stuff but you didn't have social yeah. media you didn't have internet forums you didn't have you didn't have the media was all you know the sports pink and stuff like that a bit sort of old old fashioned still and so you would just rock up to the county ground on a saturday um yeah. my dad used to take me into the abington park hotel which was around the corner i used to have a pint and stuff and um those photos are a, a snapshot of they're, they're simply set up like you say composition wise but even with that simple setup, there was still a lot captured in them, and you yeah. you, you got that knack, I think. That um, that pub you speak of is that still in existence today? Yeah, it's still there, but uh, it's not the same as it was. Like in, in my in, when I used to go, there used to have a microbrewery in there, so my dad would have a oh. pint from the microbrewery, and uh, we'd. But there was other pubs. There was a pub on the corner called the County Tavern that was right next to the home end, which was cool for the drinkers in there. Uh, um, how, yeah, a very characterful stadium. How far are those pubs that you say still exist, but how far are they from Sixfield? Yeah, good question. They're, uh, you know, um, quite far because cause you have to go through, you have to go down the Wellingborough Road through town yeah. and then the Sixfields is slightly out of town. So, you know, a mile, mile or two. The county ground was quite well centred in the town, really, next to the park and stuff. Yes. Very yeah. ramshackle, but very. Uh, I, I think you, money can't buy that character now. You know, <laughs> a football ground next to a cricket ground. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? In my in my mind. Yeah. Like, brilliant. I came. I, I suddenly I came back to Sixfields a couple of times to see Coventry at home. We won't go there. Let's not go there. But that was a weird episode for them. I mean, it hasn't quite finished really. They're still pretty homeless. The poor old Coventry. Now we could talk about that. I, I yeah, because it, the you know that that happened. What the, the the chairman made the decision to accept Coventry down. It was very very uh, contentious. Obviously, uh, I've seen your photos of the Coventry fans that just went and sat on the hill um, or stood on the hill and stuff and. Uh, yeah, football. You know, football has bad and good times, and let's face it, there's a lot of politics goes on and all that sort of stuff. And the interesting thing about that time is the fans were the victims, weren't they? Cobblers fans never wanted Coventry in their stadium. No. Of course they wouldn't. And Coventry never wanted to be there. So I think that those those shots were very interesting because you you took photos of the Coventry fans just like pretty much homeless in football terms and like. I loved seeing them top of the division just, you know, they got to the top literally the week before football was locked down and they played lovely yeah. football. We won't go on a, too much on a Coventry City ramp, but, you know, they were kind of ordinary club, but at the same time, 34 years in the top tier, unbroken. When they got relegated, you know, and they were playing Liverpool at the match and they kind of got relegated. I think the fans thought this is bad, but, you know, maybe we'll bounce back next season. And God, you know, the dreadful things that have happened. And I know it's not dreadful in terms of losing your life and, 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 you know, pandemics and stuff, but it has, it has, a, it has a, you know, it has a bit, it has a big effect on communities, football clubs. Yeah. Are really, you know, think, angry in their communities. Them, and, you know, it crushed Paul Coventry people, a lot of them, you know, that's what, yeah. 
their, their town but, became the city became a bit of a joke you know i think um in terms of you know those sort of clubs in in crisis i've done a, a fair amount of and to be honest cobblers in crisis i think cobblers will just after you done your around the time you were doing your photos at yeah. cobblers we had the financial crisis under michael mcritchie and we actually started the first ever supporters trust so it's with brian lomax was that brian lomax yeah very good guy yeah he's he passed sadly but um yeah 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 a a, a lovely guy and he was a real pioneer in terms of fan ownership and stuff but um so that's that's quite interesting in terms of how so you have your you have your photography of the the, what's going on then you've got all the stuff going on behind the scenes and uh that makes makes football clubs and you know and then that gives resonance to when people look at the photos they're like do you remember that period yeah yeah you know that was when this this is this happened um just before like we'll have to wrap up soon because yeah uh, we've been talking a while but i just want to talk about one or two of your other photos that stand out to me um the one of and what i'll do is i'll put the photos on um what load of cobblers twitter like i'll I'll retweet the one where you put your photos up and i'll find them but the one at Greenock Morton, I think it was, and there was a, a young lad, and I yeah. think he's caught in a rainstorm, and he just looks like <laughs> the world's ended for him. You remember that one? Well, I certainly do, because the show I had at the National Football Museum um, well, just over a year ago, it was on for a year, it got half a million people, didn't make me rich, it was just well attended, but we decided, or I decided perhaps, that after 30 years of touring exhibitions, having shows in all sorts of towns, funny enough, never Northampton they they didn't want it I think at the museum and and yet it went just about everywhere else you could think of like you know Milton Keynes even but anyway we won't go into that all we say is that I had this you know chance to do a big show and how would I shape it what pictures would I include so I thought ah after 28 years of doing this maybe the best approach would be to do a rundown of 65 or or more pictures in that order of of what I think are the best or which I like you know because it's more easily understandable to an audience rather than just like where do we begin with this huge body of work so that's what I did and number one sorry to spoil it for you um to cut straight (laughs) number one is is was this this picture cry for home so number one being the one that I like the most and a bit bit fuzzy or I thought was the best so yeah it was just ahead of looking up, which we've talked about. That was something like number three or four. And John Motson in the snow, which is quite famous. That was, I don't know, number 15 or something, just to give people an idea. So um, Cry for Home was this, is that it was in, in Scotland, a lesser known club, Greenock Morton, great name. You know, I loved going there. It was a real old fashioned ground. I mean, really old fashioned with tonics, caramel, crisp wafer bars you know on the, on the hoardings <laughs> and stuff in fact not just on the hoardings they would they chucked them out you know they gave them because they were sponsored they gave them to the crowd so they were chewing these chocolate bars mm. so um they didn't get huge crowds usually 2000 but this day they were playing the, the league leaders of the time um this was in the second tier of scottish football if you know by the end of the season whoever finished top they've got to scottish Premier and joined Celtic and Rangers and that. So quite big stakes, big game, and they're playing Dunfermline. And they beat them that day, you know. So it was an amazing day, beautiful colours, quite warm, everything about it great. At the end of the game, as the fans are leaving, this huge, like, rainstorm and wind <laughs> and cold blew in off the Clyde, which is the big river of Glasgow. Greenwich on the edge of Glasgow, if you like. So it's, it's yeah. not quite a Glaswegian team. And um, lots of shipbuilding or ex-shipbuilding. So I kind of knew once again at the bus stop, you know, fans would would kind of queue there for, for the bus. But on this day, it never came. So wow. there's a build-up of fans. And at the head of, head of the line of all sorts of people is this boy in just his shirt. He hasn't got a, an no coat. Well, he's got it wrapped. People say, why is he got it wrapped around his um, waist? Why hasn't he got it on? I think he was already wet by this point. He was like, <laughs> no point. Give and, it up. So, and he's pulling this face and he's got a bit of um, colouring, I think, on his face from, you know, but he's, he's about 14 years old. And he's pulling this agonising face and he's actually crying. And his arms are red raw from the cold. And it wasn't the pain. And I didn't enjoy seeing him 
in pain. But it did oh, think no. kind of summed up the lot of the supporter that's for so many years you you're kind of waiting for something to happen, you know, and you have to go through all that pain to to, to get the joy. And and that was kind of what this picture was about. And in the backdrop is the ship the old um cranes of the shipbuilding industry that died there. So actually yeah. not there's not a ball to be seen. There's not even the football ground is in the vision. And yet people including me, still claim it to be one of the best football pitchers going. It's, it's, it's lovely. Oh, I, think, I think it's fantastic. And there's a lot of symbolism in, 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 in the kid's face because it's, it's just something that people can identify with. And it's almost yeah. like this is a lot, especially a Northampton fan. We've been so, through so many bad times. It's, like, <laughs> it's almost like uh, distilling the feelings of oh, yeah. the, the bad times in football. But uh, obviously, you know, all the bad times in football when you go through the bad times you have the the sweeter the sweeter highs or all, all, all the better for that so yeah you know, that's the beauty of following a lower smaller club really what other picture have you got up your sleeve there tom uh what what of yours yes you reckon you were gonna have two hour couple at me yeah yeah the other one was the swansea uh washing line oh one, right? god yeah so this was um much the same time actually because cry for home was 1995 and uh Swansea picture that we're talking about which I called through thick and thin so it's a similar story about support and loyalty was taken the year before in 94 and at that point Swansea were in the depths and they were playing Fulham that day who were also in the depths so um, that's interesting now we didn't know it at the time that the clubs would both you know go on to become premiership clubs and reinvent themselves and do the unglamorous clubs of Swansea and Fulham and uh Swansea's old Vetch Field is the opposite of what uh, the, the new stadium's like, or the old well, sort that's, of, you know. That's well explained, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So there was this strange corner of the ground where it was all lopsided and I could get to a really high point and hang on the kind of edge of a, of a floodlight stanchion and, and kind of photograph across the back of, so if you're still with me, listeners, across the back yeah. of the ground. So I've got, I'm looking across to one corner where there's, a few fans and they turn out to be two brothers who got these banners and there's hardly anyone else there you know that it's it's kind of one man and his dog supporting Swansea in this era and between them and where I'm stood I've managed to get the back gardens a bit like at Luton um, where the grounds the houses back right up you know to the terrace and there's this Doberman asleep, just snoozing away like nothing would trouble it. You know, there's no fans or something. And um, there's kind of washing on the line and, 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 and the sign of life, but no actual people in their back gardens. And then in the distance, there's a kind of posse of people staggering from the pub, which you can see, to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the, the idea of taking the very edge of something, just touching on it. And once again, that a bit like Cry for Home seems to sum up the football experience, you know, for, for many. Yeah. And, um, you know, going on the artistic front, I think it's got a fiendishly good composition um, that was probably a fluke about it that makes it very pleasing because there's lots of odd bits and you think, how does this work? But it, but it does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I I think that it's very good because it, foot, you know, football fan culture isn't um, particularly straightforward, and um, and as we talked about earlier, and you'd expect quite a lot of the the, the houses that back sort of onto the ground to be like, but like people and stuff, and you know, trying to get a view of the game or whatever, or at least you know, out in the garden stuff like that, and there's not that many people about, which I find really really quite funny because. Uh, I used to go watch Barnet a lot. You probably took photos of Barnet under here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They used to have houses that looked out over the ground. And I was in the way in various times with Northampton. And I used to look at the housing. You know what I'm like? I'm yeah. probably similar. I wouldn't be watching the game half the time. I'd be like <laughs> looking at the houses. Yeah. And once I should have got a photo, actually. I don't think I had my camera. But there was a woman and she just had a flat screen TV on. And her house was looking out of the pitch. And she was... Um, she was watching EastEnders when the game was on. <laughs> and there was various people in the houses, not one of them watching the game. I found that quite funny in a way. That sounds really... like it was an evening match, 7.30, 7.45, if she's watching EastEnders. Yeah, yeah, no, it might not have been EastEnders, but, you know, she was watching something of that ilk. Yeah. It might have been a replay or something, but she, I remember her watching 
none of no one there was watching the football and i found that really funny that you got a a, a, a house that backed onto the ground you can see the game and you're not you're not even bothered i think that's great <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so that there um we talked about you know some of my favorite shops and some of the, the cobbler shots you've done like how would you we need to wrap up soon but how would you are you are you hopeful about fan culture considering the changes you've seen under you know in, in through your lens are you hopeful aware about where's football going and or are you a bit pessimistic what, what do you think in terms of football well, fan culture? it's an extra good question now tom really with what's happening at the moment so you know i had that big show at manchester that i mentioned about and i thought well that kind of shows off what i've done but i'm not finished yet you know and i i think it was because I'm good at this. I like this. This is me. But also I felt, you know, football's not through telling its story to me. So I wanted to hang around and do some more. But I kind of felt for once I would I would court another audience, which it, which was actually America, because I really wanted to kind of see how they could be interested in our football. And at the same time, if I was going over there, I'd, I'd become, I'd get to, to look at their, you know, the way they're doing things. And in a way, compare them a bit, you know. Mm. So that's what I was planning to do. And I am a, still planning to do it, but it's all been kicked over the grandstand a bit in the last two months. Because now the story is very much returned to, um, well, in every country will football survive. But, you know, this thing, this green map of mine with all the clubs, you know, in a huge jigsaw, and I've been so proud of that and boasted about it for years, suddenly it is under absolute threat. It's not just a bit of a threat. You know, a lot of this could disappear or be watered down, toned down, whatever it is. In the coming- you've been through, you've been through, you've, you've been through change. The, the, the game changed completely in my eyes from... Yeah. 92 onward it was starting a little bit before then but for around that time the game changed and this coronavirus thing might might see football change again and you uh, yeah I think you're right to like stick stick with it and I think there's big changes coming in English football and the way what we go back to the interconnectivity and the way things are going to work but that's interesting as a photographer to stick stay stay with it and I I, I bet in the next few years going to be really interesting it is and I don't know, maybe we're rounding this off and I've got to be careful here because I'm going to say something about your club and it, you know, will upset people. But oh, that's all right. there could be somebody there, secretary, director or something, who thinks the best scenario, this, this is just me making this up, right. they might be thinking the best scenario is that we're in a division one or two south, you know, in, in a few months' time or next year the, and that we've survived. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a thought that I was, you know, poo pooed the days of Division North three or whatever it was, North and South. Yeah, the, the regionalisation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, going back, I always thought, oh, well, that was because football hadn't developed, and then it was because of the war, and you know, we could. That's all we could muster. But then we got going. You know, 1949, 59, etc. The game's galloping on with such might, and we can support all these clubs and now we're going to have to scale things back to survive i can't see there's any other way yeah the the only thing i would say is i'm not a partic- as a northampton fan i'm not a particular fan of regionalization because we always fall between two stalls really we're in the midlands so if they cut the, the the league off at in the midlands if we for instance would normally say walsall or mansfield or someone would bring a lot of fans we would be denied that those sort of fairly local derbies so regionalization in the midlands is not never any particularly good and i'd also say like that game you talked about uh where you took your photos at the county ground we wouldn't have met the blackpool fans or played blackpool so you know i think there's something to be said for keeping it if you can do it sustainably keeping a whole national league because i think there's a beauty in going up to carlisle or i i absolutely different countries Absolutely. But I'm, I'm just saying, Tom, is that maybe we're not going to be totally in control. We, you know, the clubs that are going to be totally in control of this in the coming year or two. Um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be what we want, unfortunately. Anyway, I don't want to sound pessimistic because the thing about football is the shape of the ball is the shape of the world. I reckon that's why it's the world game for a start and became so popular. It's got, there's something about 
a round ball, even against, say, an egg-shaped ball of, of rugby, that is incredibly simple and easy to understand and, and, and relates to a lot of what, you know, what we see and, and what makes us um, move. And if, if you like, you know, the moon, the world. So that's the shape of the ball is a great starting point. It's such a beautiful game of 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 several different things. We talked about fans, we talked about grounds, we talked about history, and then there's the match itself. All these things will be sure to bring um, as much of football back, you know, and maybe at some point stronger. Than- uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. And what I am seeing, uh, you know, as a, a fan on the ground is that when in adversity, football clubs and football fans tend to come together them without foot, without actual matches what have we actually got apart from ourselves and 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 each other and mm. our our friendships and that's what football uh, boils down to friendships and community and i think we'll, if we can ride it out um and clubs can ride it out that we can we can see sort of fan culture and fan um relationships strengthen and uh, i i can also see that you know in the post corona landscape that i'm a big fan of uh community ownership and fan ownership of football clubs and i think that that will be something that becomes more to the fore of uh communities running clubs themselves in a way that's you know beneficial to you know the places they're in and each other and i think that's a positive way we can look at the way things are going to go high fives on that point goes back to brian lomax he was saying that in 92 and the 90s when you were down there and uh, i still think it's you know he was talking wisely in, in those days and it still resonates now but um it's been really good talking to you and i know we'll have a few listeners that are um you know photography enthusiasts or you know of whatever level because that's what we are really we're just we love football and we love taking photos um and you know they hopefully they've had a bit a few pointers in terms of you know just uh letting let the the image speak for itself and just you know, try to develop your eye and stuff but from yeah football fans perspective um you know thanks thanks for coming firstly thanks for coming up to the cobblers and giving us some real snapshots of the old county ground because we've you know it's easy to forget over time isn't it and you've no given us some... i've loved it and and to be honest i wouldn't even do a sales pitch normally at all but i'm just thinking if people think oh i'd like to get his book and they're thinking yeah but waterstones or somewhere's closed you know you you can get it from my website through me and i could sign it um if one's interested so okay uh, what's your website address so it's www.homesoffootball.com.uk it's plural in the middle there so don't think it's the home of football you won't find me on that it's homesoffootball.co.uk and you know it shows some of the my latest book the game which you know sets out to talk about lots of the things we've talked about plus all the images and I think that's my best book of 12 in all these years. But as I say, I'm not really out to do a sales. I'm just thinking we've got a bit of time to read things at the moment. No, uh, I've got the book. I've got the book and I can I can thoroughly recommend well, it. And what I'll do is on our social media, I'll put a link to your well, you, well, I'll link to your Twitter and to your website. And um, what also hopefully we can sort out, I'll speak to the supporters trust and try and get you down with your cobbler's photos and some other, other photos. And maybe if you can look into your archive or your, I don't yeah. know how you do it, but try and see if you've got any other photos of Northampton we can look at. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, no, I will do. Um, absolutely, Tom. So, yeah, so thanks for taking the time to talk to us. A real interesting chat. Not We normally go with, uh, you know, players and stuff like that, but it's good to put the uh, focus on, back on fans like like you did and um, keep in touch and we'll, we'll speak soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. Take care. See you, see, mate. See you, Tom. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.